Right, hello everyone. Welcome to uh, NHSR podcast episode five on the 16th of December 2021. Uh, as Zoe already uh, broke the news to everyone at the conference, this is in fact a re-record of this podcast because I am a fool and I, I don't know what happened really, but I ruined the audio last time. So the people on this call are very kindly recording it again. We're going to do it even better this time. We were all just saying this. Um, so just to give people, I never, it never occurred to me when we started doing this that anyone would ever find this podcast without knowing what NHSR is, but apparently they have done that. So I've started saying what the heck, heck it is. Um, so NHSR is a community of people. We are mainly focused around R, although we are friendly towards other languages such as, as uh, Python. Um, and we are interested in doing analytics with open source tools in across health and social care in the UK. We particularly like uh, to share analytic code and we particularly like to use uh, open source tooling. I myself, I'm Chris Beely. I am the co-chair of the NHSR community and uh, well, no, sorry, the co-chair of the NHSR technical advisory group, I should say, to be uh, to be pedantic about it. Um, and I'm a data scientist. I work in Nottinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust. So today we're going to be talking about um, SPC charts and the plot the dots package. We're going to I'll introduce that subject in more detail in a moment. So for now, let's just uh, meet all the guests. So let's start with Zoe, please. Hello, I'm Zoe Turner. I'm a data scientist. I work in Chris's team at Nottinghamshire Healthcare Trust. Tom. Hi, I'm um, Tom Jimmett. I'm a senior analyst working at the Strategy Unit part of Midlands and Lancashire Commissioning Support Unit. Chris Maney. Uh, I'm Chris Maney, I'm Patient Safety Lead for System Analysis and Delivery in the Patient Safety Team at NHS England and Improvement, uh, which is a whole load of garbled stuff. Uh, essentially, I lead an analytics team in patient safety. And other Chris. Yeah, I'm Chris Redding-Skilton. I'm a Divisional Information Specialist for the Information Department at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust. Tom Smith, please. So, yeah, my name's Tom Smith. I'm a principal analyst at Nottingham University Hospitals. And for the last 12 months or so, I've been working on maternity improvement. So lots of Chris's and lots of Tom's, basically. So if you get confused, I'm sure there would be live links to contact details and stuff in the show notes. So you can sit there and just try and figure out who the heck everyone is. Right. OK, so let's kick off then. So let's just talk about uh, first uh, what this project is all about. So the project was is called, I think, NHSR Plot the Dots. And it's focused on building SPC charts using the NHS England plot the dots methodology. So, Chris M, could you um, just give us give us a bit of a, a rundown about what all that is? Sure. Um, so, SPC first of all. So that is statistical process control, um, which sounds fancy, doesn't it? But let's just kind of back it up for a second to the idea of um, how do you use data. So if you're ever to look on a hospital's website and you pull their board papers, for example, you'll probably find something called an integrated performance report or something or other like that, which for many years has had loads and loads of indicators on them. And those indicators are often color coded to say whether they're good, they're kind of okay, or whether they're terrible. Um, the problem is, how do you make that decision on whether or not they're good, bad, terrible, and more importantly, whether they're changing over time? because often that information isn't really very clear when you look at things like that. So maybe we could use some statistics to do that. And one of the ways you can do that is to try and look across the whole process and to draw some limits around, I guess, what you would expect the variation to be in a given process, because there's variation in everything, right? So if we see a small fluctuation in something, we're probably happy 
for the most part, that that's ignorable, you know, depending on the size and how often, how far it deviates from things. So SPC as a discipline is about how do we look at a whole process and how do we draw some limits around it to say, where do we want to start caring about this variation and taking some corrective action? Now, helpfully at around uh, probably what, two, three years ago, um, a team led by Samantha Riley at NHS EI, or I at the time, I think it was, um, were trying to encourage boards around the country and consumers of information to take some of this approach as well. So their project, Making Data Count, there's loads of helpful stuff on the internet about that. Um, they've got um, packs for training people on how to do these sorts of things. They've done a really good job of going around different organisations and encouraging their boards particularly to think about how they consume this information and maybe they could consume it better. So part of that was promoting the SPC way of doing things. Now, with that, they put out some tools. There was a, a handy kind of Excel um, version, which I know raises some boo hisses from some uh, R people and other people. But the thing about the Excel is often it was kind of a lowest common denominator for the NHS and a lot of people could use it in a lot of different settings. They also put some tools together for SQL and other things as well. But a few of us who were using this in R, I was really strong at doing charts and really strong at ingesting data and cutting it loads of different ways. So we kind of thought, why don't we get on this particular bandwagon and solve a problem? And that problem is how do we do this loads and loads of times across loads and loads of different indicators without having to manually reformat an Excel spreadsheet all the time? So colloquially, the program was kind of referred to as plot the dots. So that's where the name comes from. So we thought we'd try and solve the need uh, for applying these plot the dots style charts for understanding information that can then be generalized and given out free across the NHS for everyone so they can expand the use of these things. And we thought it's also a good doorway into R as well for those people who want to understand what R can help them with. Great, thanks Chris. Um, so Chris R, you obviously sort of kicked off, you were you were doing your own thing. So just tell it from, from your side, what, what, we, what were you doing with these and wh why did you get started with this? Uh, so as Chris Bainey's already mentioned, Sam Riley's team put out a number of really fantastic tools for developing SPC charts in Excel. They also went out to boards across NHS trusts to um, tell them all about the merits of using SPC charts instead of traditional RAG rating to evaluate the performance of your metrics. Uh, at Worcestershire Acute, our board really got on board with the idea of SPC charts and were asking for them to be introduced pretty much everywhere, not just in our IPR, but across all of the uh, reporting that's produced by the information department. The struggle we then had was keeping those consistent while making them reproducible. So we ended up with a folder on our local shared drive that has dozens of Excel files all containing the same Excel template from the NHSE team, having to be manually updated with new data each month, week or day, depending on the runtime of the SPC chart. The chart outputs would then have to be either captured with a snipping tool or saved to a PNG and then manually added into PowerPoints or other presentations. We couldn't integrate them into our live reporting. So like many organizations, we use SSRS and now Power BI as our sort of regular self-service reporting tools. And while there are ways to produce SPC charts using those outputs, it's difficult to make them consistent to the NHSE making data count rules, which measure common cause and special cause variation using particular rule sets. So 
as we were beginning to use R more and more within my organization, uh, I took the opportunity to say, can we use R to start producing these SPC charts um, in large scale and using an easily reproducible, accurate logic? Um, and to that effect, I wrote uh, a very crude and clumsy R function to take in any data set, specify your time variable and your value variable, and immediately churn out an SPC chart that was consistent with the making data count logic. Um, we could then look to embed that function within regular reporting. So slide decks and IPRs that could be produced using our markdown instead of manually and have these SPCs generated automatically uh, or embedding them into our growing body of shiny dashboards so that you've got live SPCs produced for multiple specialties or whatever where you're faceting up your data and not having to be done manually. Yes, just for the uninitiated, it's probably worth adding actually. So there are lots of different ways of doing SPCs. There are sort of different schools of thought. Uh, and not only that, but there are obviously lots of different ways of presenting the graphs, you know, in terms of like the colors and all that kind of stuff. And that that probably sounds trivial, but it, it really isn't. Um, so it's it, a big, I think a big focus of this package for me was to produce something that not only used the same rules, so was sort of transplantable in place, but even looked the same because when we're dealing with a lot of, you know, these are going into like board reports and these, you know, big reporting uh, structures, people kind of trust what they already know. And so having something, I think, rather than having something that looks a bit weird and think, well, why is it, you know, that kind of thing, this package is really good at, at saying, you know, this is the sort of NHSEI uh, branded approved way with just a different backend. And I think that's actually, in terms of a communication and engagement point of view for end users, I think that's really important. Um, so how did you get started and what was the early work like? So, um, how did I get started? I got started, um, I'm working in maternity and, um, had a need to scan quite a large number of measures to understand where our issues were sort of find signal in noise. Um, we've got about 300 measures actually in our index of which we're using about a hundred either weekly or monthly. So quite a lot to go through. Um, and the Excel chart that uh, the making uh, data count team have developed is great. Um, it's, you know, a consistent approach and it's visually consistent and people are familiar with it. Um, but it's quite time consuming to use as soon as you're using it for a large number of measures. Um, so I started to look at SPC tools in the R, in sort of the R ecosystem, other packages that might help to sort of process a large number of, of measures um, and found various options, but none that really matched the kind of rule set decisions that the Making Data Count team had set up. And if, if I began to use those other packages, we were potentially going to lose the um, continuity with, with Sam Riley's work and the Making Data Count team. So eventually found Chris Redding Skilton's code on GitHub, and that was my sort of entry point. Um, I think he'd written a blog post as well on the NHSR website um, and just began to kind of get involved with the team and ask a few questions, basically. Um, I think you, Chris, gave me a little bit of moral support in the very early days in terms of getting started on GitHub because um, it's the first time I've ever collaborated on GitHub. Um, so, yeah, it filed an issue, made a couple of proposals and then just started writing code. Um, and that was my that was the beginning. Yeah, I think it's a really good example. It's a good example of lots of things, this uh, this project. And I think this is another example, is that uh, you were doing loads of really great stuff, 
and I could tell that you were doing loads of really great stuff, but what you needed was someone just to say, oh, we'll just put that there and just, fight, you know, just the, make not code. It wasn't anything as complicated as that. It's just the, the, the raw material of how to, you know, get a project going in the open collaboratively. Um, so I think I did sort of help this package come to life, but by doing almost no work at all. So it just goes to show, really, the sort of, uh, you know, the power of teamwork in that sense. All the work was done by everyone else uh, on this on this podcast. And I was just sort of standing on the sidelines, just cheering. Yeah, so um, absolutely the mechanics of kind of getting into the um, the issues. And I think my first issue was a, a paragraph long. There were probably about eight different issues wrapped up in it. And, um, you know, you you know suggested splitting them out into eight separate issues, which um, which we did. And, you know, that's how it all started. Right. So what is the state of the package at the moment? So where are you now and what would you like to add in the future? Well, the package has it's in a state of kind of like final release. So it's on CRAN at the moment. So it's available to those organizations that only So we're going to get to CRAN, but you've mentioned it now. So just yeah. for, for the for, for the lay person at home, please just give us. I was just going to do that. I'm sorry. Carry on. <laughs> So I was just going to say for those organizations that only allow for um, specified packages from, I can never remember the acronym for CRAN, uh, Comprehensive Something Network. This is uh, a, an area, a group of people who check through to ensure that the packages satisfy certain criteria in terms of our packages, not necessarily the statistical bits behind it, but just ensure that these have the adequate documentation and information that's required for packages. So it's actually reached that level of final version, which is uh, quite an achievement. So the other achievement, I think, is that it's being used. And I know it's being used because people are asking questions on our NHSR Slack group. So they're asking about how to improve it, um, how things are working and where they can get some information from on it. And they can get the people who've actually contributed to it their input from NHSR Slack, which is really good. In terms of the future, and I'd just like to sort of point out that um, this is a community project. So it's the future could be anything that anybody really wants to kind of contribute. So my contribution to the package and to the team has not necessarily been in code, but it has been in attending the meetings, which I've been very welcome to and put my views across how I would use the package, which is distinctly different from a quality improvement point of view. I do more analysis, so I would be able to contribute that way. And many other people around us could do that, too. So we're open to um, just improvements that people may have, and they might even be able to contribute directly with use cases, vignettes, maybe blogs for the NHSR community generally, adding issues if people feel like they're comfortable with that with GitHub or get help from it, from the NHSR community to do that. But the other part that I think that is really worth mentioning, which I'm not entirely sure that all the other tools have necessarily achieved is accessibility. And we have a couple of issues already open on it in terms of giving some sort of alternative text, for example, for the logos that we're using in it and the charts and consideration to a, the, a wide range of people's use for it. And that's very, very important. And it's not something that we as the core team were necessarily able to achieve on our own. We don't really know what's needed by individuals, uh, but we could possibly give the solution technically so it's that kind of input that we want the, I guess, the soft skills as much as the hard skills. So if people are wanting to contribute statistically, coding wise, use cases, or just joining in and seeing what it's like, 
to be part of a big community project like this. Yeah, that's a good point, Nazar. Yeah, so there'll be a link to the GitHub uh, repository in the show notes. So if you're interested in this package, then do, I mean, obviously go and use it, but don't be shy, go on the issues. Um, I might even make a special link actually uh, to help people find them. I might pop a link to the actual, directly to the issues. Um, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to ask anything really clever or you can just say, oh, I'm not really sure how this function works or why don't you add this? Or, you know, you can, uh, it, as Zoe said, it's a community thing and we're trying to build tools that people want to use. Um, I'm just looking at the issues now. Actually, there's 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 quite a few interesting things on there. I think the most interesting one uh, is there's something about adding Plotly. I think that would be quite exciting. I don't know if anybody currently within the, the team that have been working on it are particularly all that good at Plotly. Plotly is a it's a sort of um, it's a it's a, another way of graphing things, basically a, away from the normal R way of doing things. And it does loads of nice things like sort of little hover over so you can put your pointer over things and little things pop up. Um, so I think a lot of people would really like to see that. Um, I certainly don't know how to do it. I wouldn't have a clue how to get, even get started. So if you know all about Plotly, then please do uh, come and have a visit. Uh, anyone else on, on future plans for the for the package? We would probably like to look at including different chart types and different rule sets because you were mentioning before that there's the different ways to represent the data, different rule sets and things like that. Uh, and it's actually not a trivial thing in the area because there are differences of opinion about exactly which chart is relevant for which type of data. And the Making Data Count project as a whole has taken the position that's adopted by one of the academics called Wheeler, um, which is broadly try and use the, the the xmr chart which is one type of um, spc chart because it's broadly suitable for a lot of types of data in a lot of settings but that doesn't mean it's suitable for all types of data in all settings so uh, i think we'd like to expand it to a few different types of charts i think we'd like to uh, so it was deliberately written and i'm sure tom might be able to say more about this it was written in such a way uh, that it conforms to ours S3 object oriented uh, programming kind of rules. So the idea is that actually some of the bits are separated out so we can write, like you were talking about Plotly there a minute ago, um, we could write different types of plot methods and they could coexist within the package uh, easily enough. So we could do that with rule sets, we could do that with all sorts of things and because it's separated into these little chunks, it should be fairly modular and relatively easy for people with expertise to write separate bits and bundle them all in. So I think if anyone's int got interests, like you say with Plotly, for example, if people have got interest in a particular type of chart and they think it could be submitted to the package, we'd love to hear about that. That's a good point, Chris. Yes, I tell you what, let's all just geek out for a minute. Why don't we have Tom, uh, just why don't you tell us a bit about the, you know, S3 and, you know, what that means for a lay user and, and why you've written it that way. Yeah, so um, I did a talk at the NHSR conference recently um, that, probably explains it in a little bit more detail, though it was a very rushed talk. But S3 is a form of what we call object-orientated programming, and it's a kind of way of structuring um, your programs. So we can have a thing called an object, you know, a general representation of something that we're interested in, and then have different methods or functions that operate on those objects in a, a standardized way. Um, the, the, the main idea is that the methods are generic, that 
we might have a plot method that knows how to do something slightly different if we give it a SPC object or you know, a, a different type of SPC object. So maybe if we do a P chart um, as one of the different types of charts, it, it automatically knows, yep, I know I need to dispatch over to that different part over there. And it handles all the hard stuff for you. So as an end user, you, you just use the standard R functions like plot, print, summary, and it does all of the hard lifting for you. You don't have to write a bunch of if and else statements. So that's another, I do love this project for many reasons. This is another reason why I love it is because because Tom uh, is involved, it's all done properly. Um, and as Chris says, that, <laughs> well, <laughs> properly in our world anyway. Um, having read, I mean, naming no names and subtweeting nobody, having spent quite a bit of time on other people's GitHubs recently, you, there's, it's a wild west out there, you know, which is great. Um, but it's not you look at it sometimes and you kind of your hair stands all over, and I'm sure that's true of my GitHub repos as well. Um, anyway, and as Chris says, because because the work has been done put in at the beginning to structure it properly, actually that makes it easier. Then this is why we do all this work to then build on those same foundations. Um, and hopefully, yeah, we could attract uh, either contributors or people who are already in the project who expand their skill set to, to work out some of these extra things. So a couple of people have also expressed interest in using the package and integrating it into Power BI. So I think one thing we want to look at, particularly with people who have got more Power BI expertise than we've necessarily got in the group at the moment, is how easy it is to use the R code visualizations within a Power BI setting. Because so I know that Power BI allows you to create R graphics by having the relative packages installed on that Power BI server, but we've not yet done any thorough road testing with our package. So that's definitely in the future. Uh, I think one thing on that as well is that um, not only could we use the, the visual that we've built in R directly in a Power BI visual, but um, part of the benefit of building it with the, um, the S3 object-oriented class system is that we have all of the data behind each um, SPC calculation, which could then just be imported directly into Power BI and used with it, the kind of standard Power BI visuals. So, um, or click or Tableau or anything else that could somehow connect to our, um, be really interesting to kind of explore how this package could help those kind of um, systems. So the package is on CRAN now, um, which is great news. And actually um, speaking sort of for colleagues in my interest, I've had a few questions actually. Pete. So people are beginning to, to use it and experiment with it, which is really heartening. Um, it's now kind of um, ready for the next stage. So um, issue gathering and, and sort of working out bugs. I think there are potentially a couple of little edge cases that, that people are beginning to find, you know, just with the larger number of people using the package. Um, I'm probably going to start to want to, to get a, a rare events tool of some kind in, in there. So looking at time between events, um, which the XMR um, SPC doesn't handle so well. Um, so that's one thing I'm, I'm going to want to do. Um, but other than that, really just support it and get as many people using it as possible. That's that's my aim. Yeah, and <clears throat> I have to say again, another sort of valuable lesson from the world of open source really is that users are the absolute lifeblood of these things. There's no way, however good a programmer you are, you can't think of all the edge cases, and I have to say that I'm a terrible one, but however good you are, you can't think of all the edge cases and difficulties and strange things that might happen. The only way you can really do that is by getting your tool in the hands of a lot of people 
and those people using it and criticizing it and making it break and right filing issues will make it better so it's a, it's it's a joint effort even from that point of view it's actually a collaboration ultimately between the developers and the and the users Okay, great. So let's talk about CRAN then. So Zoe mentioned this earlier and how obviously classic, how could I ever doubt that she wasn't going to explain what CRAN was being Zoe, the, the master explainer. Um, so we've already talked a little bit about CRAN. So let's talk about the CRAN submission process. Lots of our users at least will know about CRAN, but they won't have done this. So can we just walk through kind of what it's like getting something up on CRAN? So yeah, the, 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 this package is now submitted and available on CRAN. Um, the actual submission to CRAN is relatively straightforward. There's a load of things in DevTools to kind of automatically push it out to CRAN and um, gets it into their hands so they can do the stuff. But there's a lot of things that we have to do beforehand though to make sure that it's ready and suitable for submission. Um, part of the job of the CRAN maintainers is to make sure that the, the code that's submitted conforms to a number of their standards and their rules. Um, some of them daft, like um, making sure that the title has a, a yeah, it conforms to a specific way that they're expecting. Um, other things are that it passes various code checks that you're building or unit tests and you know various other things that it's, it's installing files in the right place that it expects in a, an R package. Um, so like, for example, all of the R scripts have to be in the folder R, and you can't have any subfolders. Um, so, you know, we spent an, an awful lot of time just running through, making sure that we've built unit tests that check that the functionality of the code is what we expect, that it doesn't give weird values if we put in edge cases. And, and the other thing is making sure that we've got good documentation um, throughout the project. So, it's all very well and good for us knowing how the thing works and um, you know, we, we've been developing it, so it makes sense to us. But as you start writing the documentation and explaining it to other users, you suddenly realize that wasn't a, <laughs> a particularly good design decision. Let's, um, let's make it so it's more usable for everyone. Um, so yeah, we spent a lot of time running through all those things and prepping it ready for that transmission. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, it's a relatively easy process after that. You, you, there's a, the, a load of tools in the DevTools package that kind of just say, send this off to um, CRAN and they get it. They come back with a few changes and um, we send it back to them and it gets published. And anybody can now just type in our install.packages and um, nhsr plot the dots and they have a working copy of our code base. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really involved, but I did sort of watch the process from afar and it didn't seem uh, all that painful. Um, I did see some people on Twitter actually talking about CRAN, funnily enough, and they were very angry uh, because of the rule. You did mention it briefly, Tom, about the, um, the the package description can't begin with the words, this package does such and such a thing. And they were very, very angry about this, saying it's really hard to write a sentence about what my package does without saying this package, whatever. From Cran's point of view, I think, because they're looking at a big list of them, it's a bit like, you know, the Friends episodes are all called the one where whatever. It's like a joke in Friends where all the, am I showing me age? The one where Rachel does this, the one where this, that, and the other. 
Um, and that's what the CRAN repository would look like if they didn't enforce that rule. It would say this package does this, this package, you know, if they would all begin with T, kind of the descriptions thing. Um, I mean, I, I don't have a strong opinion either way, really, but I did read it for a while thinking, I think sometimes it would be quite hard to write a sentence about what something does without saying that something does such and such thing. Um, anyway, so that's kind of a funny rule. They have lots of sensible rules about installing on different operating systems and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, I think they get a bit of flack, the cramp maintainers do, but they're a small team for one that are creating many, many thousands of packages now. And you don't really hear of these kind of um, supply chain exploits um, with R. Like um, if you do any JavaScript um, development and use NPM, which is kind of like the cram for JavaScript, there's forever issues where there's a, been a package that is now being used by thousands of other packages. And then that package gets taken over and exploited. And now all of a sudden, entire code bases are littered with exploits. Um, there doesn't seem to be that problem with R because you've got those people that are looking at the code and making sure that changes are being submitted by the original maintainer. So I think we're really lucky in the R world to have the CRAN maintainers, even if they do have some slightly archaic rules. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I just thought it was funny, really. Um, I mean, they're not being paid at all, these people. And as you say, there's, there's a lot of work for them. Um, NPM, I've heard the horror stories about NPM. It, 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 there's sort of all sorts of malware and all sorts of, and it, I think partly because of the number of dependencies. So if you install a package, it can install like 50, 60, or 100 dependencies. And then you don't really know what's in them. I was surprised actually to learn, and maybe this is just, I guess I just was naive. Um, so PyPy, the Python repository, is just the Wild West. So there's no, I assume naively that, you know, because Cran and because Python and R are sort of, you know, kin, um, there would be a similar process, but you can just push any old rubbish up to PyPy anytime you like. Um, so my team has put a package on PyPy and obviously it's all, you know, correct and everything and I use it, but equally we could put it up there and just either fill it with just with rubbish or viruses or, you know, God knows what. Um, so yes, I think Cran, you know, it's, it's easy to forget how amazing Cran is really. And in the NHS, as many people listening to this will know, it can be really hard to get packages installed. And I think the, the trustworthiness of CRAN, I mean, I've never heard of any, I've never read anything about CRAN, any exploits or anything ever. Um, whereas conversely, NPM, I've read all sorts of terrible. Of course, now everything's full of cryptocurrency miners, isn't it? That's probably what it all is now. So everyone's running all these web servers that are full of uh, mining cryptocurrency. I just want to leap in though and reassure people who may be listening to this that CRAN is really good at standardizing packages and making them accessible to people or accessible rather than accessible but the thing is there are lots of good trustworthy packages from people's github as well which don't necessarily get to CRAN including our own NHSR data sets uh, not data sets that is on CRAN sorry there was another one isn't there theme that's not on there there's a couple that are on the NHSR community github which are available as packages but haven't been released to CRAN so they are just as trustworthy it's just that there's a reason often why they're not going on their PHE fingertips wasn't going on there as well it was removed from CRAN I'm not entirely sure I think it was put on a different site for distribution so the difficulty that I find with other IT teams is that they only accept CRAN but if you're wanting robust statistics or checking of that package, that's not what CRAN does. 
So it may have really good functioning code, which is in a standardized way, but actually you might need to go somewhere else for the domain knowledge. So R is an interesting place. It's not a wild west in that regard, but I don't think necessarily all our IT departments understand what we're doing. And I know from our security in Nottinghamshire Healthcare Trust, they've looked at it and said, actually the packages are quite safe. There hasn't been any security risk that they've seen so far from R, whether they have seen it in other cases. And I don't know whether that's just because we're really nice and we don't put in bugs and viruses intentionally, but it can be a concern for people. That's true. Yeah, this is almost turning into a podcast on itself, actually. And I might possibly come back to this whole subject of security and, and packages and GitHub and stuff, because it is actually quite interesting, isn't it? But yes, I think NPM in particular is, is probably like that, partly because it's being used by, you know, just a colossal amount of people for web development. It's just, you know, R is quite a small world. I mean, I would say, you know, with GitHub, if the GitHub is owned by someone that you'd invite into your house for a cup of tea, then use it. If it's owned by some random dude in Texas you never heard of, then maybe don't. From the IT department's point of view, I think you need to trust your analysts to know, you know, what is and isn't all right. I mean, you can copy stuff off the, you know, you can copy stuff off the internet and then run it on your computer, can't you? That's no different, really. I could go and find some random code on a blog post, run it, and have it, you know, have an exploit in it. Anyway, we're talking about this too much now, which is, is interesting. We're supposed to be talking about plot the dots. Uh, right. Okay. Thanks, everyone. So that we've had a good discussion about um, SPC and plot the dots. So I think we're coming to the end. So the final question, it's an optional question that I've started asking all guests and we've had loads of great input on it, is what else would you like to hear on the podcast? So what subjects or people or projects would you like to hear about or from on the podcast in the future? I, following on from what we were discussing about CRAN and using things on GitHub and SPCs generally, there are a couple of people who are part of the community, integral parts of the community, who've produced their own SPC chart packages. One of them being Jakob, who spoke at our NHSR conference, and the other person being John McIntosh, who has both created local GitHub repository packages and then also put them onto CRAN. They might say no to coming on to talk because uh, they're, they're very studious people but I would really love to hear their views yes that would be really good actually yeah I think John McIntosh you're going to be on the podcast eventually so you may as well just you can't avoid it you can't you can't avoid it forever and Jakob as well he's really great for his uh, he's done some really good things for the NHSR community in the past at the conference and I'm going to give his surname a go and hood and hoy and hoy he told me that was it I hope I yes. got that right and he built a really, I love this thing, actually. I mean, it's just a random, I'm sure, you know, it's a small thing that he's done, but I absolutely love it. He showed it in the NHSR conference. I've got the code somewhere. I'll put it in the show notes. It's an application that shows random noise, basically. It says, this is what random noise looks like. And he said at the NHSR conference, if you really want to understand data, you should spend, I think he said, an hour per day looking at random data and tr understanding that humans see patterns everywhere. Uh, and I have to say, obviously, we're all seeing this all the time because of COVID. People are saying all these things, aren't they? You're seeing all these people, random people saying stuff on Twitter and newspapers, and all this kind of stuff. People see people see patterns where they're not there and people don't see patterns where they aren't there. And this is a sort of classic result. And um, he's built this really beautiful, shiny application that, that illustrates that. And I, I built a similar thing years ago that was it was nowhere near as good. Um, so I, I'll try and dig that out, actually, and, and put that in the show notes as well. 
I'd be really interested to hear from anyone who's doing discrete event simulation in R, particularly using the Simmer package. Um, we're starting to use it as part of our annual planning processes at MyTrust, um, particularly in terms of long-term forecasting of our RTT waiting lists. So anyone doing similar stuff, it would be really great to hear from. Yes, and I need that as well, actually. So <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're doing lots of great stuff in R, doing discrete event simulation and you want to come on the podcast, then please uh, drop me a line. I'm sure you'll be able to find me in the show notes. Yeah, I'd like to hear from um, people who have come to R without any kind of um, programming backgrounds or um, anything like that and just how they've um, gone from, you know, not knowing anything of that area to being um, good at R, not necessarily proficient or experts, but comfortable using R. Uh, my own personal background is from computer science, so um, my learning is very different from most, I guess, because programming has been a, a background of mine for a long time. So it'd be really good to hear just from people that are learning R and particularly advice that they can give to others that are trying to um, move away from the kind of typical Excel-based workflows that they might be using at the moment. Yeah, I mean, of course, Zoe would be ideal for that because Zoe, of course, died in philosophy. And I so... love that idea as well, because there's a lot of people with lots of different backgrounds and I go on about it a lot and I really struggle knowing because I recognize how great it is to come from a STEM background, having you know other people around me, having studied things that had statistics or maths and that's excellent. But then where does philosophy fit? <laughs> and uh is it worthwhile doing but i think i'd love that yeah get some people on about that that'd be brilliant i, I think it would be good to talk about learning r and all that kind of stuff i mean my background is psychology but I, I think the thing is i'm a bit of a geek so it comes naturally to me to know what for example i was talking to some data scientists recently about what cpu cores are and i was really amazed that they had no you know they had no idea really what that meant which i found quite amazing but then and it made me realize you know how narrow my worldview is because there are lots of people who write beautiful python code and there are excellent data scientists but when they were 10, they weren't sitting around, you know, messing around with an Amiga 500, which is what I was doing. And they just, they haven't picked this stuff up along the way. And it's, it's actually quite an interesting area. So. And just to add, uh, Chris Redding-Skilton, you did law first, didn't you? Yes, I did a, a bachelor's and a master's in law, did a bit of teaching of land law for a while, and then somehow ended up as an NHS information analyst. Wow. I love it. <laughs> we should have like a, I mean, I kind of want to do like, uh, well, I said this, I think, did I say this to Colin in the last podcast? I don't know if we said it on the podcast or in the chat beforehand. Everyone's got a story, haven't they? And I don't think we could do a podcast about it. Well, maybe we could. It would be like too many, it would be like 25 people, but maybe we could like record loads and splice them together or something. Because I do think how you ended up here, I've never, ever heard that story from anyone and thought, oh, what a bore, you know, like, oh, of course you did. I, it, everyone's like, oh, I, you know, I was doing i was a shepherd and you know i found that i had to count 1700 sheep overnight or whatever and here i am and you're like wow that's amazing like how did and i think that i same like i maintain servers about probably a fifth of my job is messing i was how did that happen i really don't know um anyway chris uh, i suppose for me on what else you'd like to hear um i think like the production data science side of stuff in r i'm really keen to know how people take things from i was messing around with it in r to i'm now using this in some other production environment so you hear all like python people talking about it all the time everything's like done in containers and then surface through apis and stuff and i know there's corresponding stuff in r but I'd, 
I, I don't know many people who've done it. I'd, I'd love to see some real examples in NHS land if there are any. Yes, we've got Amadeus actually coming on next from NHSX coming on next year. I suspect that would be mainly Python focused, but I don't really know because I haven't spoken to him yet. Um, but yeah, our in-production one will be and it will be an interesting one. Okay, cool. Right, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks very much, everyone. Uh, I think that last question actually was almost almost the best part of the podcast, to be honest. So there you go. It just goes to show, doesn't it? So thanks to all my guests. Thanks to everyone for listening. I'd like to thank Tom Jemmett, the one who, he's on the call now. He's the one I always, I always thank for his excellent editing. This episode has had all sorts of, as always, jackhammers and people breaking their headphones and you name it, it's happened. And I'm sure none of that will be uh, audible on the podcast, which is all down to Tom's uh, sterling work. Um, and I guess also I'll wish everyone Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Um, I'm assuming this probably will come out before then, but it does slightly depend on Tom's timetable. But if not, you can have a belated one instead. Uh, please check out the show notes. I'm going to put contact details for all the guests, whatever they might be, Twitter or whatever, or even GitHub. Um, I'll put some links to the projects and the issues and stuff that we talked about. Uh, um, and we will be back. I've got loads of guests in January. I think I'm going to have to put them out in stages. Otherwise, there'll be too many at once. Um, but we've got loads of really, really excellent stuff, including Amadeus from NHSX talking about machine learning in production uh, next year. So with that, uh, I'll bid you farewell. Thanks very much.